0: Hey listeners, we apologize for the lack of shows lately. I thought I was going to have a little bit more time while on the road, but I did not. Just got back from five and a half week trip on the motorcycle, as Adam was talking about. Did 8,446 miles solo. It was amazing. Got to meet some awesome people and see some great parts of the country. Also recorded a couple shows, and this is one of them. This is Cole Powelson from Life Motorsport in Salt Lake City. Accompanying this is also a YouTube video uh, shop tour that Cole was uh, was nice enough to walk me around the shop and let me film and everything. So go check that out over on the TrackTune YouTube page. And uh, let us know what you think about the show and of the video. We'll be back in a couple days with another show from the road. Welcome everybody to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah at Life Motorsports with Cole Powelson. How's it going, Cole? Excellent, man. So thanks so much for having me. I know, uh, I think we've been planning this for probably the past two or three weeks. I messaged you and said, hey, yep. I'm going to be in town for the PwC race. Are you going to be around like sometime around that weekend?
1: It's so, perfect timing. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm here today, was out doing the PwC stuff, and then uh, just moving around, and I'm back on the road tomorrow. So Okay.
0: Awesome. Well, the the facility here is amazing. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do like a little bit of a video after we record this, so we can show everybody. Um, oh, thank you. But yeah, yeah we'll, it's um, we'll give you
1: the the VIP tour. Okay, <laughs> all access.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of really cool stuff here. So
1: thank you. Well, I, I think
0: a lot of our listeners may recognize your name uh, more recently from the Life Motorsports GTR. Um, pretty much the. The fastest GTR in the world, we can say now, right? Right. So you guys beat out HKS last year at the speed Ring event at
1: uh, Fontana um, by uh, a pretty decent margin, too, right? We did all right at the end of the day. It definitely was not going our way up until that point, and even our finishing result was shy of where we should have ended up. Had some engine troubles along the way, so uh, good enough to get the, the fastest in the world title from HKS, and we've been carrying it with pride ever since, and... Uh, hoping to just battle with some more GTRs and uh, retain that title.
0: Yeah, and you guys are will be at the Speed Ring again this year up in Detroit, right? Absolutely, okay. yeah, yeah, really looking forward that. to that.
1: That's uh, that's the next big event uh, for us in the car. It's outside of Pikes Peak and uh, Super Lap at the end of the year. It's uh, definitely the top of our list. Right.
0: Now, I, I think a lot of our listeners probably know that it's the Life Motorsports GTR, but they don't know about the shop that's tied with Life Motorsports. Right. So, which is obviously your shop, um, which is where we are right now. Um, Where did Life Motorsports come from? I mean, I know you have a pretty decent background in motorsports and working for teams and things like that. Um, Can you walk us through
1: that? Like, where did you get your start? Well, it's a really long story. Okay. Uh, I'll give you the abbreviated version. Uh, I wanted to make a living with race cars you know of course everybody wants to drive them but uh i took the more practical route and uh, became a mechanic went to porsche factory training and uh worked for porsche race teams uh, worked in the american le mans series grand am and uh worked with people much much smarter than i as i developed and uh, my skills and honed my abilities and kind of self-taught my driving i didn't grow up with much money. So I couldn't drive. I rode BMX bikes and, uh, the driving side really pushed me to learn more about the cars and how to tune them and drive them. And, uh, eventually life motorsport was kind of a culmination of all of my things that I enjoyed doing. The, the tuning of the cars, the driving of the cars, the the competing in the cars, uh, kind of all just wound up under this one roof. And, uh, that's a lot of what we do today. It's arrive and drive race programs. It's custom race car fabrication. And, Uh, You know, I get behind the wheel anytime I can and do driver instruction, data analysis, race car development, and uh, it's just been kind of been me for 15 years, and then all all of this stuff kind of ended up around me, and I've got a killer, killer team of guys, and people trust us with some pretty cool projects.
0: Yeah. So what, uh, what was your first car that you did any performance driving with?
1: The first car uh, was a Porsche 911. Okay. Yep. It was a 996 GT3 wannabe. Oh man! This is a standard Carrera, but it had the all uh, oh, the factory arrow kit on okay. it and nice It'd probably suspension. Probably be worth some bits.
0: decent money if you still
1: had it now. Uh, yep.
0: It, 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 it's
1: <laughs> I did okay. I actually sorry for rubbing it in. <laughs> no, no, it's it's fine. It's a 996. I I could find a nicer one, but uh, I I bought it when I was living at my parents' house. Still, I was working at the Porsche dealer bought it from the dealer I worked at. Uh, they didn't want a modified car sitting on the showroom floor, so it already had some nice suspension in the GT3 body, like I was saying. And uh, that was when I took the real race car engineering that from the teams that I'd worked on on the 997 Cup cars, a lot of it related to my 996. Mm-hmm. So again, I looked to people much smarter than I was and what they were doing and what that effect um, you know what's the result of these changes and uh, what effect does that have on vehicle dynamics and uh, I'd work for a race team for a weekend then I'd work at the dealership during the week then I'd fund my own racing on the weekend so I raised shifter carts, motorcycles and my 996 and uh, just kind of honed my own personal skills until somebody was paying me to do it nice so what uh, so you got
0: your start with that car or did you do karting and motorcycles before that or was it all around the same again time?
1: I didn't have any money yeah so you know you can show up to the track and be a nice guy and be athletic but nobody's going to put you in their race car so uh when i started working at the porsche dealership i was young i was only 21 years old out of factory training um but it was a good gig and Mm -hmm. because i lived at home i could afford a nice car right and so you know i had a a car payment that rivaled uh, some people's mortgages um and i just considered it as a, a platform for me to to learn and develop on and I was already a decent mechanic but i wasn't a decent driver right uh so i used my first good job to fund all of my racing i took out loans in the summer and paid them back over the winter and i operated in debt all summer long just funding my own racing uh and that was you know how i kind of got my start in the road racing stuff you know my first car was a geo and i drove the wheels off the thing drove it in the dirt jumped at it learned the ins and outs of what not to do to a car like a geo metro or geo storm, storm. Nice. oh yeah it was a storm nice. <laughs> yeah no the pinnacle of performance and uh that, you know i knew i loved driving the cars and and tuning on them but it didn't get serious until i got that porsche and that was uh where we really started to shift into a more professional um driving aspect okay
0: so did you just start driving it like in Canyon roads and tuning stuff and then like move over and start doing some track days with it? Or? Yeah,
1: it was the canyons that caught me. Okay. Um, that's kind so, of the way
0: I, I started too.
1: Well, it was Gran turismo with Pike's peak. And so yeah. I was naturally drawn to rally cars and Pike's peak and I've never competed in a rally. You know, I've never competed in any sort of dirt race. Uh, but that's what drew me there. Um, and the fact that we had a road course pop up around about the same time that I finished my Porsche factory training, um, there was work and there was opportunity, and so I gravitated back towards uh, that type of racing. But it was really rally cars and Subarus and driving up canyon roads that got me into the whole motorsport thing. Um, I always thought I'd do rally, um, and I liked Subarus. Still, yeah, oh, still, I, st- still I still think have might one. Do some rally stuff. Yes, Maybe. definitely. There's definitely rally in my future and, okay. and rally cross. That's uh, no doubt about it. The, yeah, I was hanging
0: out with a, a guy yesterday, uh, Josh Carter, over mm-hmm. in West Jordan, that um, does a lot of rally cross stuff around here, or used to at least.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm hoping that that's going to be a more popular thing, and the the mix of gravel and asphalt together is something that I, I hope to. Yeah. A big part of my future. So okay. I just started doing some drifting. Uh, just. Trying to explore out a little bit. all forms of motorsport because yeah. I, I love driving uh, just in general. So I don't really care yeah. what it is, but it's all it's all based around just hooning a car, you know. Yeah. Having a good time.
0: Once you start like developing that skill set too, you can become really versatile and you know, right. Like learning to drift makes you a better road
1: road course driver. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I've, so I've, I've noticed that. No longer that, the fr-
0: afraid of like the car sliding. Yep. You know. So. So yeah, actually out here, I've noticed there, there seems to be a really strong Subaru culture. Like, there's a lot of Subarus. Even, there is. You know, there's I a was lot first, of We'll ones, just clarify
1: but. that. I was the first cool Subaru guy. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the first one in the area? Well, it, the WRX caught my eye uh, when that first came to the U.S. shores. Okay. And so I got a, a 2002 WRX when I was in high school. Oh, wow. Working at Krispy Kreme. Nice. Selling donuts. Selling donuts and doing donuts. You know it. Or Cyclones. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Until that oil starves and lets you down. But it was it was a big part of the the utah culture was a subaru thing but not at the beginning it was a lot of i hung around the honda guys and the, the import drag racers that was popular nobody thought a subaru as a sports car oh really uh so the WX was kind of the you know the they first. were kicking butt at yeah. the uh, the the street races and it was a new car and obviously i knew of it from the rally stuff and so i've owned nine subarus now oh wow yeah okay of all different types what's uh, been your favorite one so far Honestly, it was my... uh, The first one? Yeah, my very first one. My 2002 WX. Because I just drove it with complete disregard for everything. (laughs) It was a a new used car. It was a dealer demo, so I had a few hundred miles on it. And I got them when the 2003s were coming out. And I just loved it because I just drove it. and It was my everyday driver. And I drove it up the canyon. I drove it in the dirt. I put 16,000 miles on it in six months. Wow. And... Um, I traded it into the dealer for an STI for only five hundred dollars less than I paid for it. That's it's not that bad at 16, all. After sixteen thousand miles, so moved on to the STI, and the STI was a great car. But uh, you know, it's I didn't. I started getting weak. Yeah, you know, keeping it too clean, not driving it hard enough, and. Uh, it was my first really nice car, so that was. Uh, so did you have that something I didn't enjoy quite as much? Did you have the SDI when you went to school? I did, yeah. Okay. So uh, I went to UTI, the technical school down in Phoenix, and I had my STI. I couldn't afford to move down there with it, so it <laughs> stayed here. Uh, I think I had it like the last four months I was in school, but okay. um, I ran an 11 second quarter mile with in it on stock tires, stock clutch, really? My own crappy tuning had an FP green on it and a turbo xs Tech that uh i managed to figure out how to tune myself and that record stood until just a couple weeks ago for our local stuff wow it was uh kind of the first competitive racing that i got into um and it was drag racing it was more for me to tune the car and get a knowledge it wasn't the driving satisfaction wasn't there it's because I was used to cruising these beautiful canyons we have right yeah. at, right at our doorstep, just so more the, like the tinkering side. Yeah, it was the okay. Here's the result of of tuning a car and uh, you know some quantifiable data to go off of. Like okay, yeah, the, the thousands of dollars was worth it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's that side of it um, mixed with the you know cruising up the canyon side. I just loved all the intricacies of the. The technical stuff on the car and then the driving experience after, you know, being able to tune that. And when I first got adjustable shocks, I just, what do these clicks do? Some shocks, they did nothing. Other shocks, they did something. And it was, it was just a cool experience, and it really fostered the learning and uh, kept me pushing forward. Okay. Nice. So when when did you go from Subarus to Porsches? When I saw the light, yeah. When I saw the light, I I it's, went to it's Porsche. Kind of factory. of like the same training. design motor, right? Right. It's just the back of the car. <laughs> That's what I kept telling people before I went to training. And somehow, if
0: you if you take a flat motor and you put it in the back of the car, it becomes infinitely more reliable. It's really weird.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Party in the back. <laughs> no, no doubt. It's I. Uh, because it came from kind of the import scene uh the Japanese cars it was I was always standing up for the Japanese cars. It was the it was a complete lack of knowledge that I had on why a Porsche was oh i, I can get my stI to do an eleven and I only spent this much money. It's like, right. well, it lasted for a 16th of long. Yeah. So when I saw the true engineering and design behind it, what made a Porsche, a Porsche, it stood out that there was clear engineering advancements that hadn't made their way over to the Subaru realm. And you know, they're, they're cost prohibitive. So, uh, once I saw the light and the true engineering behind Porsche and the racing heritage, it was, I was a sold. It was, I was a Porsche guy for life and, you know, still am and always will be. And it's, because of their dedication to motorsport and um the results you know you look at race results it's one thing to say you have a race car one season but you look at decades of successful racing and uh that's what i want to be doing is racing so uh, me and porsche we just you know together forever in a sense but i still like the japanese car tuning culture and um you know bang for the buck what you get out of it and obviously being a time attack guy there's you know very much japanese and well very much based in the japanese culture mm-hmm. it's um it's just not a porsche it's not the same yeah. you know we we're obviously racing a gtr and uh i love it but it's just not a porsche in the in the same sense so There's just big differences between the two, Um, not better or worse, but when it comes down to it, I'm I'm just a Porsche guy. Yeah. And it's more from the engineering standpoint, not that a Subaru can't go as fast. You know, the the only car that we've really lost to has been a Subaru. I got mad respect for Mike and the GST team and, Mm -hmm. and what they've done with that car, and they've done it on a fraction of the budget that our GTR team's done it or any other, you know, Lamborghini team or Porsche team, Ferrari team. Um, and you got to admire that and what's been done. But, uh, you know, you look at the picture of a hole and I'm, I'm just on that Porsche side of the fence. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, I
0: guess, what was it last year? You guys ran Pike's peak with the GTR, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, where, where did that idea come from and start from? And, you know, obviously There was a lot of prep work and preparation that went into that. You want to explain it a
1: little bit and kind of walk us through that? Well, Pike's Peak's been just a dream of mine. So this year was a third year in a row that we've run it. Um, Second year with the new car. Uh, And it's just because I was a kid playing Gran Turismo. Yeah. And it was Pike's Peak, and I couldn't believe that this cool racetrack, if you want to call it that, was just one state away, you know, just in Colorado. Um, So it really intrigued me because of similar, um, you know, lay of the land, the way the mountains are and trees. And it just struck a chord with me as being something I was very used to. And I love spending time in the mountains, and I love race cars. And so Pike's Peak is just naturally this thing that uh, I was drawn to. And I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm I'm a sucker for it. There's (laughs) nothing like... uh, going flat out on that mountain. There's just, there's nothing that can p- compares to it that I can think of. So it was kind of a, a dream that I always had. And I got the support of Kyle, the, uh, the guy that behind the GTR that, uh, has funded all of this. And he, uh, he thought it'd be pretty cool to go to Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. and check it out. And so he, he let me do it and then we did it again and again. And now it's just, uh, the event that I look forward to the most each year. Um, I don't know why it's treated me so poorly uh, for three years in a row, but, uh, I know we'll get the result we want. Uh, if we just keep sticking with it, but it's so unique in the sense, you only get one shot at it, right? right? You just show up race day, one shot. doesn't go your way. Doesn't go your way. You know, you got 364 days to, to get ready again. So, um, it's just been a long time that I've wanted to do it, and now that I've done it, it's just a drug. I can't can't shake stop. It. Yeah. yeah, no, it's <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. No, that's it. I'm going to keep keep at it until we can get get the result that the team deserves and what, what we've been working so hard for. Um, and because the car is not a specific Pikes Peak car right. or a specific. Time attack thing. car. It's, yeah. It was built to one set of rules, and now we're trying to modify it to do all these different things. And uh, you know, we may have better luck if it was just a concentrated effort at one thing, but I think one of the things that GTR does well is lots of things. You know, We want to go do a roll race, we want mm-hmm. to go do a drag race, take the wings off, see how fast it goes. We, mm-hmm. want, to, we want to go sub-10 at Pike's Peak. We've even talked about taking to the salt flats. Who knows what 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 will it do out there? So um, there's not many cars that you can do so many cool things with, and uh, that's why we're you know choosing to do all of these things. We in the other GTR we did a six-hour endurance race and won. And it's- the only all-wheel drive car to do a six-hour endurance race that's not you know a gt3 spec car so it's a cool achievement that we have and we have this time attack title we want this pike's peak title and we're going to do it all with this car but it's pike's peaks always just going to be at the top you know as much as it's cool to do all these other things it's pike's peaks at the top it'll be like the the constant every
0: every year hopefully for you like, you might be dabbling in, like, land speed stuff, right. but then, like, put it back in Pikes Peak trim. At, at and least then, until we
1: get the result that we want. Right. That, that, that'll that be, you know, I, I know I could take a year off. What's my, that What's that result? over Overall winner?
0: Sub 10. Sub 10? Okay. Sub
1: 10. If I can just go sub 10 minutes at Pikes Peak, uh, I'd be the, the happiest boy in the world.
0: What sort of stuff do you do to prepare yourself as a driver for an event like Pikes Peak?
1: Lots of simulation laps, looking yeah. over video data um, on race week. I'm, you know, I do my regular practices, but then I make an effort to go up and drive on the mountain during the week. Okay. And it's such a difficult course because there's not a lot of visual markers, and a lot of them look the same. And then on race day, all those things change. There's new hay bales, there's fences, and so where you so are, so your looking, references are completely different. They're gone. So you have to choose these immovable objects to be your markers. Uh, and they may be different on race day, you know, if there's some new banner in the way that you can't see. Uh, so you really have to respect that mountain. It catches people out all the time, even veterans. Uh, so it's just a place you got to really respect it and mm-hmm. approach with caution. And, you know, the first year I had a pretty decent wreck there, and it caught me out, and it was just you know, it was car preparation. It was my lack of experience. It was, it was a combination of things. Um, but it, it caught me out and it caught out Randy Popes the same year a veteran of that event, also in a GTR. Um, and there's just no amount of preparation that really gets you a hundred percent ready to do it. So it's just being the best prepared you can on race day, but nobody just walks up at the start line and cruises right. to the top. It's right. Nobody. So there's uh there's no amount of prep that can really get you there. But I'd say I'm much more calm on the third year at the start line than I was the first year. I'm sure it'll continue to get that way a little bit more. Hope and, so. Yeah. Well, the changing conditions. You know, this year I was going to go up in the rain, so we put on rain tires, and they said, "Oh, we've got mountain goats. Oh, we've got <laughs> fog. Oh, we've got wrecked cars, and it's just okay." I have no no idea of the condition of the, the course. Um, they ended up shortening it for my run on race day, and we were only able, able to go to the halfway point because of hail and uh, fog conditions up top. But how do you prepare for that? Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you can't. So you just show up and you do the best you can uh, given the conditions and hope that you get that result. And that's part of what gets people coming back for more, but it also – gets people discouraged and and turned away because so much effort goes into it i can assure you it didn't cost me any less to only run to the halfway point this year um but it's it got me that much more fired up to come back next year and uh, with a better better effort better level of preparation more speed um and hopefully that it's our year yeah no i uh you know i'm
0: interested to, to see how that program progresses for you in the future and, uh, hopefully I can make it out to the race next
1: year. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Oh, you should make it, man. We'll, we'll get you on the crew. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're be better awesome. off getting a media pass. You yeah. can actually go other places, <laughs> but, uh, happy to have you join us and share that experience because it truly is, you know, s- second to none. I've been up at the top of the mountain talking with drivers, teams from around the world, and they just talk about what a special place it is, you know, racing to 14,000 feet, being up before the sun comes up each morning. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's just no place like it. And it's it's really a cool experience that I wish I never had yeah, had experienced. <laughs> What's crazy is that for, you know, for grassroots
0: motorsports type things, um, you're kind of here in Utah, you're almost at the Mecca for it. I mean, you have Pikes Peak really close by. And you have Bonneville, you know, an hour and a half to the, to the west. Right. And those two and, like, Indianapolis are like the three places that even if you're not into cars you know what those are. Right. Which is, you know, really unique. So being out here in the West, you know, you're you're ideally situated for both of those.
1: No, it's, it's that whole privateer type of story. You know, we look bigger on the Internet and more organized and all that, but we're really just a regular group of guys with big ambition. And um, we we feel like we got that first note or first set of notoriety from the HKS win, but it was years in the making to get to that point but we've seen these these heroic stories where people have come to the salt flats or or gone up pike's peak and had a a really good run and you know got noted in the history books so we're definitely a grassroots uh, group you know i run a professional operation for my clients but when we run the GTR, that's our own team's effort. That is not like a customer coming to us saying, hey, you, we want you to run this car at these events, which right. we do a lot of. It's our team. Everybody in the shops had a hand on the car, and we're doing it on a budget despite what it may look like. You know, there was some funding early in the early days, but it's – uh. It's not what it used to be, so it takes a lot more, uh, more work and more creative guys uh, to, to be able to operate that car at the level that we want to operate at. Um, but it's as, as true grassroots as they come.
0: Yeah. Now, out here in Salt Lake City, you guys have Utah Motorsports uh, Campus, which, you know, was previously Miller Motorsports Park. Um, and that's pretty much like one of the only road courses that you have nearby besides maybe Las Vegas. Right. Um, you know, Las Vegas is, is somewhat close by. Um, but we were down in the shop earlier and it looks like you guys have a lot of, of spec Z's that you've built up for, you know, for your customers and things like that. And you were explaining to me, it's a pretty popular class out here. Um, you know, with NASA at Utah Motorsports campus, uh, where, where did that kind of begin? Because other, other regions in the country, spec Z isn't nearly as large. And so from my, from my perspective, seeing that you guys have a lot of the cars here, you guys are kind of influential in in building that class in my opinion out here in in salt lake
1: it it was when the class popped up i thought okay 350z spec i saw the spec e46 and i was like cool that that may take off didn't know really what to think about it um a couple guys locally latched on to the idea and they kind of ran by themselves for the first year or two um and then there was a third car fourth car fifth car and now we're talking some contingency money um so that attracted more drivers um we've built seven z's through our shop uh for different guys from ground up builds and we've also sourced other cars out of states um and kind of refurbished them and got them ready for the local series so uh, I think it's been a concentrated community effort um, of saying, hey, we, we want this class to go because I know NASA was pushing for it. Um, Matt Guyver, our local director, is a, a big Nissan fan and thought that it would do well. So it's uh, it's communicating. Yeah. You know, A lot of people don't do that. Uh, you know, so getting everybody together and having a... Uh, an idea of which direction to go was was just good communication by the region and now we've got over 20 race prep caged cars that can go out and run at any given time I know we've taken green flags with 18 19 cars wow. and we're taking uh, even events on Sunday in Utah 15 16 cars on a, on a Sunday race so um, I think it's just uh, Good group of people to race with. Everybody throughout the group has somebody, whether it's your first race or you're an established guy, there's somebody to go and battle with. Um, Good support from NASA, uh, even on the regional and national level. Uh, Good support from Toyo, working with us on the tires. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... It's just made for great racing at a a reasonable budget, and we don't have any open-wheel here locally anymore. It's gone, and so I think where you would have lost some of those drivers to the open-wheel stuff, they've looked at the Spec Z, um, comfortable with the price points in order to be competitive, and... Uh, like i said there 's a place for everybody to race, regardless of uh skill set talent level um, how many years you 've been doing it and that 's I think just been the the big key to it all okay yeah, I mean those
0: cars seem like they 're pretty affordable to obtain a donor i mean you're talking we we're talking earlier like six to seven grand for yep. a decent one um obviously, the spec package is a little pricier, but still right. when you add up everything it 's still you know it 's comparable or maybe even less expensive than what it would it cost to like build a e forty six And definitely a lot cheaper than building, like, a top-level spec Miata. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and at a track like Miller, the cars have a little bit more power for that nice, long
1: straightaway. You know, that was definitely a factor in it. Uh, And I think there's somewhat of an ego that goes along to guys don't want to be seen in a Miata. Yeah. and it's just from a lack of knowledge you know the a lot of these z guys it's their first race car Mm -hmm. and that's it's not a bad thing it's they just didn't know what they were really getting into and i think you got to spend a year at a racetrack to really see okay these miatas are a functional tool regardless of what they look like on the outside or your friends down at the gym think uh they're a really good viable race car option um and i'm so happy the z's have been so reliable and it's just like a big kid miata um because they've been exactly what uh, we anticipated they would be as far as reliability and cost of operation and all that uh so it's been exceedingly good uh while still allowing some of these guys to keep their egos and yeah. tell people you're racing a z car yeah, and not a miata in the office on monday and um yeah, you know, it's the local spec Miata stuff has suffered a little bit, and I think it just—it's the wave of change as people mm-hmm. want to be in certain cars. And the fact that we have the long straightaway—granted, we only use it a couple times a year—the uh, full straight—it's—it's uh, it's been a more preferred car for the class, and people op- are welcoming it with open arms. Yeah, you know,
0: one thing that I—I I encourage people that are looking at getting into wheel to wheel is to go to the events and see what the big classes are. Cause you, you don't really, you know, the people that built the first spec Z's out here, they were kind of taking a gamble.
1: Absolutely. You know, they were
0: building them and maybe there would be people to race against eventually, or maybe not. Yep. So, you know, I always encourage people to like, look at the classes that are there unless you're absolutely in love with a certain, you know, certain. Well, oh, there's always pioneers. But there's yeah. no
1: shortage of those guys. Yeah. People that are first year in racing, they come to my office. I want to build X, Y, Z car. No, you don't. you know i I can tell you from experience you don't want to be that guy and uh you know some people are going to go out and do um what they want wanted to do in the first place regardless of what they learn but uh you're spot on you got to tell people to go to the track um if you go and talk to our spec z group you talk to any driver it's one of the most welcoming group of guys Mm -hmm. um on and off track it's just bunch of great guys and that's and I usually think that's what, what can, builds in
0: yeah i was gonna say that's what can make or break a series there could still be a lot of cars right. but if the community isn't very good you know and, and every region kind of has their different thing right like spec 944 is really big in the southeast mm-hmm. and those guys you know and the midwest is starting to grow um, spec e30 is really big too and a lot of those guys you know all hang out but all the all the spec classes that nissan or not nissan sorry that nasa has um you know they're the community is just really really strong, and that's what what I think helps. And I think NASA does a really good job of building community just within all the NASA drivers themselves too, with I the dinners and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So
1: yeah, it's what are we really doing out there? We're club racing. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I think the the sense of community is really what makes club racing as a whole work. Because if you've got everybody just loads up, takes off you know, get that, those closing moments and yeah. to bond. It's, it's a totally different atmosphere. And, you know, from working in pro racing to supporting guys, at club racing, I see the pros and cons of both. And from working in wheel to wheel racing to time attack, I see the pros and cons of both. But, um, there's, if you want people to stick around and you have a participant, participant based type of event where it's not spectators coming through the gate, you're trying to get participants through the gate. Um, giving them a positive experience is by far the most important thing. Yeah. Because how they leave feeling the gate, you know, if they're 14th or 6th, isn't going to really matter that much. It's like, did they have a good time at the barbecue after? Did they meet some new friends? Or do they feel like a part of the community? That's yeah. what keeps people coming back because nobody needs to spend the money to yeah. do this. There's plenty of other hobbies and that when, you can do. When when you look at events and
0: see large car counts in fields, you know, like for – I think for Indy this year, there's like 90-something spec Miata signed up for, for runoffs. Yep. There aren't 96 people that think they have the potential to win. Right, They just go because it's something that they enjoy doing and that they're around the community. Yep. like you know, I, I think a lot of people out there that before they get into wheel-to-wheel, if you're a really competitive person, you're like, oh, I only want to go if I think I have a chance of winning. And then they just won't go if they don't. Right. But there's tons of other people out there that enjoy it just for what it is. And yep. that's really what I think makes club racing work no no doubt so but so changing tracks a little bit no pun intended um to your gtr program yeah uh how long have you guys been fielding that car for and what were kind of like the progression uh of the build because i know it's it's pretty pretty crazy right
1: now (laughs) yeah no it's 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 a crazy machine and this is the the second version if you will the first version um so i had a just tell you quickly I had a guy come in my shop his name is Kyle he had a GTR streetcar we're having fun doing track days I'm working on a streetcar he had an uh, AMS alpha package on it and uh, he was going pretty quick and I said hey man we need to start looking into some more safety equipment roll cage that sort of stuff and he liked a streetcar he didn't want to you know gut it cage it Uh, he still wanted something to drive on the street so I reached out to my friends over at Cobb, and they had the retired Time Attack car. It was just kind of sitting in the corner. They had done what they wanted to do with it, and uh, called up Trey and said, "Hey, we'd like to look at this car. I heard it might be up for sale." And went to Texas and bought the thing to revive it. It was in pretty sad shape, you know. It was uh, it served its purpose and it sat in the corner. So I like the guys at Cobb, but
0: like when you show up, like I've been to the Plano one before, and yep. they have like. Really awesome, like time attack and autocross Subarus just stashed away, like with dust on them and everything, yep. just put up and forgotten about.
1: I know it's it's sad to see it there. So, it was for me, it was cool to see because Cobb was based in Utah, yeah. And so, oh, really, I, I, yeah, I didn't know for that. a number of years, really. Yeah, okay. So, it was uh, when I was 16, I got I didn't I applied to Cobb. I applied to the shop next to it. It was Modern Garage, and I got denied. They wouldn't even let me sweep floors. I was slinging donuts at the time, you know. I was the Krispy Kreme coal, so that's apparently what uh, I was good at. But I had this Subaru, and so Cobb was super popular, and um, they were here in Utah, and uh, they when they first run the GTR programs based out at Salt Lake, Hmm. and so I got to see kind of that car. come in front of my eyes and be operated and competed and prepped and off to the next race uh so i had kind of a soft spot for it um and seeing it back in the shop brought back a bunch of memories and i was like yeah we need to save this thing and get it back uh going so got the car from cobb did a ton of work to it put a fuel cell in it we were doing endurance races we were doing time attack what what year was it that you guys got it that was 2013 okay i think okay maybe it was 12 2012 13 somewhere in there uh, But you guys were running it at a lot of different different
0: types of events just getting used to the chassis and yeah just figuring the out the car and so and i was doing like a lot that. more
1: driver coaching with kyle the guy okay. uh, that, that bought the car um and so he was in the car a lot we were doing a lot of coaching he was he did all of his race licensing stuff in it and uh we learned a lot and played with that car uh and started to find the limits on some things and it was just a heavy car we didn't build it originally a a lot more things had come about as far as shop capabilities technology available for the car um and we thought okay well we wanted the beginning of this we just threw up a goal because you have to have some goal you know where are we heading and we're like we never want to lose to another gtr like that was the gist of it like we want to be the fastest gtr in the world Mm -hmm. and it kind of a general term and like, okay, well, that's what we'll do. Um, so we messed around with the car for two years. Um, and then we got more serious and said, okay, well, we need to get this thing on the the global platform and compete against some international teams, uh, which is where world time attack came about. Right. I'm a big fan of the time attack stuff because as a car builder and a driver, it's where the two meet because mm-hmm. in pro racing, we didn't get to mess with the cars it was like here's some wing angle here's your spec ride height camber blah 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 it sucked because i i'm like there's so much potential we can do all these cool things well you can't you can't do any of that uh so it really pushed me um away from that and into time attack and Kyle liked the time attack idea as well he said, okay, well we're going to go to the biggest time attack show on earth. We're going to be a part world of time world attack. time attack. We watched the, um, effort with, uh, team America. I believe it was 2014. Sad, you know, it where it didn't get, uh, uh, didn't get, get there. a lot in time. Didn't get us. Well, no, that, I think that was the year before was the it didn't even show up. Okay. And then I think 14, um, it just didn't run very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, 2015, we show up at World Time Attack. Um, you know, a lot happened between then and World Time Attack, yeah. but that that we decided that's where we're going to go next, and um, that's where we contacted Andrew Brilliant and said we want to take this thing For all serious the arrow stuff. Yeah, and we started with the arrow because I knew that was the the big thing that we needed to to step up our game. We realized some changes with. Um, Fairly small arrow modifications, but we knew if we wanted to be serious and go after these titles, we had to get uh, and start with the arrow and start with a new car, honestly, because that car is just so far in the wrong direction for time attack. Uh, So we started with uh, Andrew. He designed a car, we built it, showed up and finished the car in October 2015 with the car we currently campaign uh the old car is still around frank the tank it's uh we've got some good memories with it so it's over at the other shop and it'll return one day as a, yeah. another uh, race car but uh this one was finished october 2015 we competed at world time attack so this car top. was
0: essentially built for world time attack correct like a fresh fresh car complete it was built to the world WJC. time attack rule okay. book
1: um and it was pretty purpose built for the world time attack at, at that point we knew we'd figure out doing some other stuff with it, but that was the goal. So went down there and had a bit bit of bad luck. We um, burned an engine down on the first day of uh, Mm. uh, competition. And long story short, we got another one. We set the record for Pro Class R35 by like a hundredth of a second really it was on a stock <laughs> engine a stock yeah. borrowed engine that some guy had it behind his house so you gotta like keep the boost a little lower Oh well, exactly you yeah. had no dry sump on it yeah. we didn't want to blow it up it was bone stock and it was just from a junkyard kind of thing and uh so we got what we wanted but terrible way to do it but we got the pro class r35 record just barely okay got it back to the states and um a couple months after we got it back from Australia, we did the uh, Pikes Peak program. Mm-hmm. So our second year there, first year with the new car, and went quick, about halfway up, we overheated. Mm. So we were definitely on pace to do a sub 10 run by the halfway mark, uh, but I had to back out of it, overheating issues, and said, okay, well, the car will do it. We just need to revamp the cooling system. Uh, and in 2016, we then went on to do the speed ring, Got the uh, world's fastest title from HKS. Came back to the shop and been working on the car to get it ready for Pike's Peak this year. This year, we know what happened. Didn't get it complete a run. The cooling system was fantastic. That wasn't going to be an issue. And here we are here today. You know, we've only done a handful of events with the car, um, none of them have been smooth. We've never run an event with full power. We've never just had it everything go right so uh the new car even though we learned a lot from the other one is still under construction you know it's still sorting it out um hopefully this year speed ring everything will just go super sweet and uh we can kind of continue the legacy so it's the wins that we've gotten with the car have been not showing our full hand it's just been that's the way it's worked out and uh, that's kind of the rough timeline of the car from 2015 to now but you know there was two years of development getting used to the r35 figuring out what it liked and didn't like um with the more of the streetcar chassis before we knew we needed to step up the game for the new car right now one of our our previous um guests on the show and listeners uh will i young is
0: going to wtac this year uh any any tips for him you know showing up for the first time like you did back in 2015 don't drink too much before race day
1: (laughs) (laughs) no the aussies are great it's uh again there's no way you'll be totally prepared right um but you have to realize how advanced they are down there you know, running that track on those tires yeah, there's
0: cars that are built specifically for that track and that event and that's exactly. the only thing that they do
1: yeah and it shows you show up and you start putting lap times down and you say how the hell are these guys so much faster yeah and we were getting it sorted as far as we could on a stock engine but um their masters of that game, you know, it was just amazing to see the level of car prep and professionalism in a time attack paddock, uh, as well as having all the spectators there, the big show. It's, it's super cool to be a part of an event like that because aside from working in pro racing, road racing here in the States, there was nothing even compared to it. Um, and they filled the place up. So it's, it's, Show up, learn something, go as quick as you can. Uh, And all the competitors down there are so open book for the most part that you can get a ton of information. Uh, So just to be a part of the show is an amazing feat. But I, I have a hard time believing that anybody will be very competitive there from outside of Australia for the next couple years right with the the aero wars that have happened over the past few years and the level of engineering and development that a chassis needs to work well with aero and high power uh, it doesn't just happen you need lots of experience and that's the only place in the world they compete on those tires it's not a bad tire but it's not like anything else I've ever run. Right. So, so unless you, you have them, you can't really you jump tune in through all, all these them. hurdles. Yeah. yeah. That these guys have been dealing with for year after year, they show up the same program, it's sorted. Uh, and I just wish every outside competitor luck as they go up and battle with the Aussies because they really have a, a good program put together. And uh, Will's going to go down and do just fine. He's yeah. going to have a good time. He's he's a hell of a competitor. The car looks like it's turning out great, uh, and I wish him all the luck. Yeah. So now you, you liked the event so much that
0: you went back last year without driving. Well you did get to drive a car did, did a bit of and driving, some practice yeah. labs, but you know. Um was it the community that drew you back just to go
1: back and see it without competing again? It's it's time attack. It's the time attack culture. And I'm hoping it rubs off around the, the rest of the world, um, because I don't typically go to racetracks if I'm not racing. Right. Um It's hard for me to do. Uh, I'll be going back to World Time Attacking in this year. I'm trying to line up a seat, so I'll be competing as a driver. Um, But at the very least, I'll be there as a spectator and hopefully ambassador of the sports to global time attack around the world because it's something I truly believe in. I think they're doing it the best in the world right now down there, Um, and they've stuck with it. So uh, I want to support that in any way that I can and uh, educate more people on it and support what they have going on. And it's one big show a year, and I'm going to continue to, to be a part of that. And I know it'll the form of motorsport will grow. More and more of these guys with street cars that are going to the racetrack mm-hmm. are, are coming out of the woodwork, and they need a place to go and develop. Uh, and no better form of motorsport than Time Attack, because yeah. it takes your... Basic entry level guys, and then you have the multi million dollar budgets um, competing on the same track on production based cars. Yeah, and that's what's amazing to me. You don't have factory built race cars. I I love Porsche and what they do with the Cup car, and I'm you know happy how many they've sold. But it's you take millions of dollars in engineering, you spread the cost over a few hundred car or you know twenty five hundred cars, whatever they built. You're cost sharing this development. Across this platform, and they do really well, but it's not a production car. You can't tell me it's a production car. Yeah. A production car came off a showroom floor. It was sold to an individual, and they modified it and got it to that level. Uh, and that's really what's a- appealing to Time Attack, and I think relatable to everybody from like the club sport or street level all the way up to the pro level stuff. You know, we've have VIN tags on our GTR. Yeah. it's awesome yeah. to see that, and a lot of the the OEM sheet metal. So working around with what. The car came with, and developing it to your your own specs, you know. There's no yeah, you get to push the limits
0: essentially of of what is possible.
1: Yeah, the, some of the best engineering and workarounds I've seen in motorsport in recent years have been in time attack. Yeah, especially down at world time attack because the level's so high. So that's a super appealing thing to me. Uh, is just having that bridge between the street car guy, the grassroots racer, to the million dollar budgets. Because there's something for everybody. The cars are the stars. You know, there's a certain car you identify with, and it's just you love it. It's a bad piece of engineering, and you want to see it go. And when you see those cars run in real life, they are so fast. Uh, Visually, you don't see that. You know, a TA1 car visually looks pretty fast, Um, but outside of that, you don't see these full body cars that visually look fast until you get to World Time Attack. They're wicked fast. And uh, it's just cool to say that was a street car at, at one point, and yeah. now it's turning like that guy faster has a title laps on <laughs> like, a street tire yeah. than these V8 supercars or these uh, even Formula car times. So it's it's super cool to see that, and I think it's relatable, and you're going to get more and more people jumping into the sport, and I, I just want to be a part of that. Yeah, you no, know, with uh, you know we've seen it with a lot of our good Life competitors that you know
0: they'll start with a car, and then season after season they just keep advancing and keep you know keep progressing and building the car but also becoming better drivers at the same time you know and it's just it's really awesome to see yeah. that somebody can i don't want to say dedicate because it it it's not a huge sacrifice to do it but it does take some dedication you got to spend some money spend some time oh yeah
1: spend some research and that weeds out the people that are too weak to carry on yeah and so the cream rises at the top and it, nobody said it was easy uh or expected it to be and those people don't last very long and i think that's what gives the this time attack culture like some claws you know i think it'll stick around for a while because the people that want to work through it and find a way um you know there's a ton of different ways to build a splitter you don't have to build it out of carbon you know it's not always the best way. Right. So people that have the, the fortitude to to work through these issues and develop the car and then also, you know, do these track days and work on themselves as a driver, it's what keeps people interested in the sport. It's what keeps me interested in yeah. the sport. And I've thought, okay, well, everything that I've learned at this crazy level, like, I need to go back and build a nice competitive street car. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking about building a second car just for that – you know respective run group um and you could say it's a it's take a step back but i think it is a, a, as a new challenge yeah to enter you this have, you
0: have a few more limitations
1: right and now i gotta you know jump jump around these hurdles uh whatever they may be but that's what keeps it interesting um and the fact like you mentioned earlier that you can do this over the course of years you don't need to say okay you know i'm i'm doing Perley world challenge here's my half a million dollars put me in a seat uh, you don't have to show up with a half million dollars. You can have your street car that you modify, that you drive to work and work and work and work, and eventually move up to uh, to the where, wherever you want to be. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm constantly striving for the top, and because I, have, I am, it costs so much to operate the car. It's like now I can only do a couple events a year, uh, versus if I had a street car that I was driving to the events, I could do a lot more driving. Um, but I'm, not, I'm less focused on my driving more on the car and and bringing it to these major events but you can work 40 hours a week and take some weekends off and work on your car and make it to these events and do well i've yeah. seen it firsthand uh with car level prep of all different sizes you know all different budgets all different driving talent some kid came from a go-kart and this guy just did track days and they're competing side by side so it's uh it's kind of one of the last grassroots place places that I can see. If you want a NASA license to go race wheel-to-wheel, man, you better have some money and dedicate some time to it. And mm-hmm. then, You know, if you don't have a fully race prep car, you're renting somebody else's car, which costs thousands of dollars. Well, you don't need that on the time attack yeah. side. And, uh, and for people
0: that want to go racing, I usually recommend that they become quick drivers first. <laughs> you know, so, like, participate in NASA TT yep. and some time attack events and actually, like prove that you're a quick driver, because no one wants to be a backmarker. Right. You know, I've seen, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people get into racing, you know, too quickly, getting into wheel to wheel the wheel too quickly before they can actually drive well. Mm -hmm. And then they get frustrated and then they just get out. Right. Where if they would have taken it a little bit slower, learned how to become a quick driver, uh, and then went into wheel the wheel, it would have changed it completely for them. So... You know, so I kind of recommend it as that. There's some people that they love. They love time attack, right. and like that's all that's all that they ever aspire to do, and that's right. what they devote themselves to.
1: Yep.
0: Uh, for me, I think I was running some NASA TT stuff for a while, and the fields were, sometimes they were big, sometimes they were small, but a couple times it would be you know winning by a couple seconds. And I think I just got burned out on that because I became my biggest competitor. Right. You know, it was like, oh, can we go faster? Like, when is it enough? And I think, I think I kind of got burned out, um, just mentally stressing. Yep. So, but I kind of wish I would have made that jump to wheel the wheel. And now I'm looking back, I think I'm going to try and go to comp school, um, in November with alpha club around LA. But you know, it's one of those things that I feel like I'm a competent enough driver now that I could go into wheel the wheel and have some
1: success and enjoy it, you know? And then, but it's the level of car prep. Yep. Man, the level for wheel to wheel prep, versus which is what your,
0: which is what part of your business model is, right? I mean, what um, you guys do a lot of arrive and drive stuff yep. for your customers. Yep. Uh, what I mean, the way you guys run the program, they just need to show up, and you guys have have the we car prepped, and you do the coaching, and
1: we do it all. So okay. they just show up with their gear bag ready to hit the track, and. We take care of everything else. And so we have a few driver coaches. We have a mechanic for every car. Uh, we run Porsches, Corvettes, the Zs, you name it, whatever we need to do race support on. It's it's so the driver only has to focus on driving. None of these guys wanted to get into this to become better mechanics. Right. None of them. Right. So I thought about that from a business perspective. What do I love to do the most and how, how could this be easier? Because a lot of the – up money for these guys. They can write the check. It's time. Make it easy. Um, So having a program that's full arrive and drive where they only have to work on driving the car and advancing a driver, we'll tune the car. I'll set the car up. I'll hand you a car. It just did this lap time on this day with me in it. Now you go drive it. Like it's not the car. So let's focus, you know, getting that down to where we just focus on driver development is, is huge. And you know, you make it easy for these guys to only do that. Um, and I'm a wheel to wheel racer, like, don't get me wrong. I'm a time attack guy and I love that from the technical side, but if I'm racing, I want to race wheel to wheel, Yeah. you know, endurance racing, sprint racing, you name it. That's, that's where I want to be. But again, it's cost prohibitive. You have to spend so much more money to have a wheel to wheel race car that the thought of it is just like especially on my budget. I just cringe. Right. I, just, I don't want to do that. You know, luckily I get driving opportunities through my clients and you know, they flip the bill for that. Um, otherwise I wouldn't be doing nearly as much driving, but it's it, a lot less expensive to run a car for a couple laps than it is for a couple
0: hours. Oh,
1: hugely. <laughs> so
0: yeah. I mean, although in a higher level prep car, like your GTR, uh, obviously it still costs a decent amount to run every single lap. But, yeah. you know, compared to like running a GT3 Cup car in a
1: 3-hour enduro. Well, it was t- to run the 6-hour enduro it was $10,000 effort oh, for the GTR man. in a 350Z, it was about 3,000. Yeah. So it's And the risks are lower. This, so yeah. especially yeah, if you have other people driving in the car
0: with you. Right. You know, I'm sure there's very few people that you trust with the GTR running in enduro with you.
1: You know, now that I think about it outside of me and Kyle. Nobody else has driven the yeah. new GTR, and then the old one. Sean Murphy, one of our team friends, is decent driver. Has driven it, but that's that's about it. Yeah, yeah. the list gets yeah. very short. <laughs> yeah, very very short for for something like that. The Z, you're like, oh, it's like a street car. Yeah, Anybody like, oh, you can fine. drive it. You got five hundred bucks, you're in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So well, awesome. Well, uh, you know, you're going to be at Speedring, and I think before we came on, you were saying that you're going to try and come out. Not with the car, but to Grid Life at Road Atlanta. Yeah, which I think I the want show get, will
1: be out like right before it. Perfect. Well, pop my Grid Life cherry because yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to my first one. You'll love so it. I'm you'll looking absolutely forward to it. Love it. So there's a lot of
0: competitors that are already super stoked for it. I think Will All Young is going to be there, not in his, his Civic. Yeah, the He's old car. To RSX. Yeah, yeah. So him and uh, James Houghton's been on the show a decent amount too. Yeah. Um, so we we love those guys. Definitely. Um, there there should be a really good really good crowd out, and I think it it looked like. Uh, I think Mike Warfield. No, he's coming to. Are they coming to? Rhode he's Atlanta? coming to South. Yeah. They're, okay. And they're going to be at
1: Speed Ring too. I think, aren't they? <laughs> I thought. Depends I saw, on the day.
0: I thought I saw some it, like some Facebook posts.
1: Yeah, it, it, it may happen. Yeah. Um, so I'm advocating for it. It'd be good to get there. Uh, I know he's shooting for South. Um, so hope to see him down here and cheer on all my buddies that are running and i'm excited to see the event as a whole uh, i've got some drift friends that will be there I've okay. got some grip friends that'll be there and you'll love it man. um yeah i'm, I'm really excited to be, to be a part of it yeah we'll have to uh we'll have to catch
0: up with you for like 10 or 15 minutes uh you know one evening just to see your thoughts you know Adam and you I catch me early and, in the evening or yeah. it's gonna get a little slurred oh it's fine we've had we've had cody <laughs> loveland
1: on the show at like two in the morning before it was uh <laughs> It's been good. See, we, I, I got to share garage space with Cody at Pike's Peak. Oh, really? Yeah, so okay. we were working out of the same shop. this year? Or? Yeah, okay. the JC Fabwork shop. Okay. Uh, Cole, the owner, he's a stud, took yeah. good care of us. Uh, got to spend a bunch of time with Cody, but didn't didn't get to relax with him if yeah. you will so uh that we're due yeah, for I, some I, of that i can
0: imagine neither of you were were very relaxed that whole week
1: oh no it was it was just comical looking across at the two cars because yeah. we we're replacing a crankshaft and he'd go out and practice and then take a out the cart and it was just a thrash from both sides and Man. didn't get a chance to relax and uh That's meet like each team other.
0: team garrett over there
1: <laughs> team toyo too, <laughs> team toyo too. Yeah, That's right. yeah it was it was good and Good combo, so it was, it was cool to be a part of that program, if you will, next to him. But yeah, Cody Omiya beer. <laughs> well, where can people find out more about Life Motorsports and kind of
0: follow along with all of your, uh, you know, the things that you guys are doing and the events you're running?
1: Uh, we we stay pretty active on the social media stuff, um, hoping to update our website a, a bit more often. Uh, but we're really active on uh, Facebook and Instagram and our YouTube channel. Uh, we'll have our uh, Pikes Peak recap video here coming up pretty soon. It'll be pretty interesting to see uh, less less practice time on the mountain, more time in the workshop, so you'll get to see an engine rebuilt through a time lapse. All right. Uh, and, yeah, just follow us on that stuff, and we'll put up our major updates there. Okay. Well,
0: we really appreciate your time today, Cole, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you in the future.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, man. All right. We'll talk to you soon.